almost equal parts, nanny, therapist, and hustler. The agency's name was actually Di Marcello and Carr. Francis Carr was her non-sleeping partner, as he put it, a gay banker who adored her. Linda lived in a mansion apartment block just off Baker Street. Her flat was large and luxurious, expensively furnished in a mix of antique and contemporary, and absolutely immaculate. Her office, a sleek, modern suite near Charlotte Street, was equally so. But she was lonely, and however much she told herself that she had a far better life now, happily single rather than unhappily married, she didn't really believe it. What she hated, and was almost afraid of, were solitary weekends, and she struggled desperately to avoid them. Only five weeks to the wedding. I just can't believe it. Barney Fraser looked at his fiancée in all her prettiness and sweetness and sighed. I think I can, he said, and he could hear his own voice just slightly heavy, belying his smile. Barney, that doesn't sound very positive. Sorry, Amanda, I was... well, I was thinking about something else. Thinking about what? Oh, just work. Sorry. More wine? Yes, please. Amanda was so thrilled at being chief bridesmaid. The bride was one of her very best friends, and when she and Barney got married the following spring, Tamara would be her chief bridesmaid, or best woman, or whatever they decided to call her, and Toby would be Barney's best man. Toby was just the best. Clever, funny, cool, and plain old-fashioned nice. Barney didn't like to think of their friendship in terms of love, since that was corny and slushy, but he did love Toby, and admired him, and enjoyed his company more than that of anyone else in the world, except Amanda, obviously. She'd done it now. There could be no turning back. Mary took a deep breath, stepped away from the letterbox, and walked home again through the pouring rain, hoping and praying that she had done the right thing. In four or five days the letter would arrive in New York, at Russell Mackenzie's undoubtedly grand apartment, bearing the news that, yes, she thought it would be lovely if he came to England and they met once again, after all these long, long years apart. Donald had died on his 75th birthday, had had a heart attack while the house was full of his beloved family. Mary honestly believed he went perfectly happy. It had been a peaceful, uneventful marriage, full of tenderness. Donald had been a wonderful husband. He had never made much money, had worked away happily at his job in an insurance company, and had no ambitions to change it. She had kept all Russell's letters, and photographs, safely hidden in her underwear drawer, tucked in empty packets of sanitary towels. She knew Donald would no more look in there than fly to the moon. And then, last year, he had written to tell her that Margaret had died. She was a very loving wife and mother, and I hope I made her happy, he said. And now we are both alone, and I wonder how you would feel if at last we were reunited. I've been thinking of making a trip to England and we could meet. And so she had written to tell him that he should go ahead and make the arrangement for his visit. Ideally at the end of August, which was only a few weeks away. On that same rainy morning... Linda received a phone call from an independent production company. They were casting a new six-parter for Channel 4, a family-based psychological thriller. 
Very meaty, very raw. We need a young black girl. First casting in three or four weeks' time. Linda did have someone, and she sent her details over straight away. She'd had Georgia Lindley on her books for just over a year. Georgia still lived at home, in Cardiff, with her adoptive white parents. Charming, slightly hippie middle-class folk. Well, maybe this production would be Georgia's big chance, Linda thought, although much more likely it would not. She decided not to tell her about it yet. She couldn't face her unbearable disappointment if the production company never even wanted to see her. Emma's official title was now Dr. King, and she was working at St. Mark's, Swindon, the new state-of-the-art hospital opened by the health secretary earlier that year. She had spent three of the statutory four months now in A&E and was really dreading moving on.